also want to remind you that there was an insert in the bulletin. I'm starting to, uh, going forward, to provide questions for you to answer for application um, that you will find online, I believe, amen, and also the handout here. And last, ser last uh, week's sermon was designed for greatness. And so we want to dig a little deeper. So please take these questions and go into your word and allow the Lord to show you how you can apply the truth of his word to your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Amen. Amen. All I need to do is find it. Amen. That's the New Testament. Yes, yes, sir. There it is. Beginning in the 14th verse. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, Imitate me for this reason. I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not of word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and spiritual or in, in the spirit of gentleness? Father, we bless you and we thank you for all that you have already done. Father, may we never, not, never limit what you desire to do in and through us. May we exercise what we have in Christ. We are accepted in the beloved, and we have liberty in him. And so we want to operate in that liberty today. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Many of us who are on the opposite side of 25, <clears throat> 45, have heard the story of the emperor who loved beautiful clothes. Most of the day, he spent his time looking at himself in the mirror. He changed outfits every hour. One day, two swindlers came to the Emperor's city. They said that they were weavers claiming that they were able to make the king the finest cloth 
imaginable. I'm going to ask that you turn the air up a little bit, not to be directly on the head that, hair, head that is thinning. <laughs> this material, unlike all of the other garments in the emperor's wardrobe, would be made of amazing material. In fact, it would be invisible, and the only people that would be able to see it were the fit and the smart. If you couldn't see it, that meant that you were unfit and stupid. Wanting to be known as fit and not stupid, the emperor gave permission to have this new invisible outfit made. The weavers asked for the purest of gold that the king had, the finest silk, and they worked on an empty loom. The emperor sent the chief member of his staff to check on the progress of the new out outfit. Not wanting the emperor to think that they were unfit or stupid, they came back and said, nothing has ever been made that is more splendor and magnificent. The king could hardly wait for the day that he would be able to don his new apparel. And so he finally was able to dress in his new outfit. He organized a, a parade for all of his uh, citizens and uh, the, the uh, his, his leadership to watch him march through the city in his beautiful, invisible garments. And of course, none of the leadership said anything to correct the king, for they wanted to be considered fit and smart. Now, as the procession was proceeding, the crowd shouted, magnificent, marvelous, never in all my life have we seen anything so incredible, astonishing. The king has outdone himself. No one will ever match this splendor. And in between the loud, boisterous celebration of the king's beautiful, invisible garments, was a, was a small voice from a child. The king has no clothes. The king has no clothes. He's naked. Total silence fell on the audience. And once the king began to feel the chill, <laughs> try to cover his birthday suit, the crowd in unison began to say, the king has no clothes. The king has no clothes. Everybody was more concerned before the child spoke about being accepted and not speaking anything to correct the king because the king would have classified them as someone that could not be embraced as significant. But thank God for that faint, quiet child voice who in his innocence cried out what was correct and true. The king has no clothes. Raise your hand 
if you like to be corrected. How many of you like being corrected? Oh, one person, okay. The truth is, we don't like to be corrected. We would rather think it's them that are naked. We close. We got it together. Ever since the beginning of time, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, their original sin was basically, we don't want God to be telling us what to do. We don't want him correcting us. That's why the enemy speaking through the serpent said, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, you will be like God. You'll be equal to God. You won't be having to answer to him. You won't need him to correct you. We live in a very difficult time, and churches, churches are emptying, and emptying out. And one of the big areas of, uh, of, of conflict for many people is they don't believe in the authority of the Bible. They don't want anybody trying to tell them how to live their private lives. So they stay home, mind your own business, is basically the attitude of our times. Unfortunately, we, because of our sin nature and lack of desire to have somebody over us, having authority over us who we have to give an account to, we tend to minimize the authority of others. We're equal, we say, until somebody interferes with something that you consider yourself in charge of. Your responsibility determines your level of authority. And so what we're going to see today from the word of God is that whether you're married, in the workplace, or at church, receiving correction, even for Christians, it's hard. Yet without correction, you will never reach your full potential. In Christ, if everybody, I didn't tell you to turn the air off now, if everybody agrees with everything you agree to or believe, you'll never need to change. There's no need to grow. Now, here's what I want to share with you today as we continue the series about second-mile Christians. Second-mile Christians, those who go beyond and above what is expected. They ask you to go one mile, you will go two miles. They ask for your coat, you give them your shirt. They ask for a drink of water, you give them food. That's what Jesus said we should do as second-mile Christians. One of the things that will be true of you if you are a go above and beyond in obedience to the Lord, you will humbly give and receive correction. Second mile Christians can give it and they can take it. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I got far much, I have far too much sermon for today. 
I would love to finish it. I'm going to try, but I'm not going to tax you. I'm not, I'm not going to. We'll see how far we can go. But I want you to understand that the key to your future and the destiny that God has for you is your ability to give and to receive correction. There are four things that we're going to address in, by way of questions. First of all, why do we resist giving and receiving correction? That's our first question. Secondly, I want to consider with you why are, what are some of the consequences, what are some of the consequences for failing to give or receive correction? Thirdly, who can give and needs to receive correction? Who can give it and who needs to receive it? You still with me? Yeah, I heard one or two of you. And finally, how can you humbly give? and receive correction. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, the Apostle Paul has to correct some arrogant church members as their spiritual father. He actually calls them arrogant. Those aren't my words. They're right in the Bible. Amen? Here's what he says. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Now, the cause of their arrogance is very prevalent in what we call Bible-believing churches, evangelical churches, fundamentally sound. The Corinthians were basing their spiritual maturity on their knowledge of Scripture. That's why Paul says in chapter 8, he says, knowledge, numos, puffs up. Knowledge alone makes you proud. But love, agape, edifies, it builds up. And the, the second thing that they were attributing spirituality to, maturity to, is what gifts in the spirit do you have? If you spoke in tongues, you were automatically considered a part of the elite crowd. You, had, you were part of the haves, and the others were a part of the have-nots. And so they arrogantly measured spirituality by how well they did on Bible quizzes and how effective they thought they were through the use of their spiritual gifts. As the spiritual father of the Corinthian church, Paul held a unique place of authority that is reserved for the pastor. No one should ever get in this pulpit and admonish or rebuke or correct this congregation except the pastor. Paul says, you are my spiritual children who God has begotten through the ministry of the gospel. And as my beloved children, he actually refers to grown folks. Some of them may have been older than Paul. He refers to them as beloved children. And so as the covering for that house, just like if somebody decided that they're going to come to your house and they took their strap off, 
and they called your boys and your daughters down. Look, I'm about to show you that you're not going to behave like this again. You're going to have some problem with that because they're not the authority over your home. There's one dad and there's one mom. Amen? He said, I'm writing not to shame you, but to warn you, to admonish you, to discipline, to correct you as my dear children. He said, even if you had 10,000 instructors, 10,000 leaders, 10,000 tutors in Christ, you only have one father. He said, for in Christ, as I've already said, I became your daddy. Not the God's father. <laughs> Paul had the right to correct the entire congregation. He says, I don't want to shame you, but I do want to warn you as dear children. There's danger when you ignore the red lights of Scripture. When you ignore the barriers that God has established. Now, the interesting thing, when you study the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians that were written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, the carnal corral. This was a carnal church, a worldly church. Both books were written to correct misbehaving Christians in the church. They were books of correction. You go through all of 1 Corinthians, and I'm not going to give you the outline, but in the second book of Corinthians, Paul is, is chastising them because they're questioning his authority as an apostle. But these were books of correction that he, directed by the Holy Spirit, wrote to those churches. I know they wanted to, hey, ain't he all right? I, I know God is good. I, he'll do it, won't he? If you take one step, I, he'll take five. And that's what they wanted to hear. But what these wayward children needed to hear is that second-mile Christians humbly give and receive correction. Now, why, don't, why do we resist giving and receiving correction? The first part of that is why do we resist giving correction. First of all, retaliation. We're going to use 1 Corinthians 4 as the template of the authority of the pastor to speak to the church, but I want to do, take from other portions of the scriptures examples of why we, re, why we don't want to tell nobody nothing no more. We just want to come to church and go home. The first reason we, we, we don't want to correct people is the fear of retaliation. Say retaliation. retaliation. Listen at what Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 8 says. Whoever corrects a mocker, a cynic, invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked, the wicked, incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker. Don't correct a mocker or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. And here's a modern rendition of that. If you correct an arrogant cynic, an arrogant person, you will get slapped in the face, confront bad behavior, you will be kicked in the shins. So don't waste your time <laughs> with a scoffer. When you take the position that you are going to direct people from the word of God regarding behaviors, 
that are unacceptable. And that person is a mocker, is a fool. The Bible actually calls him a fool. Because the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. They didn't say with their mouth, but their heart, their behavior indicates the absence of God. The Bible says that the beginning of knowledge is the fear, the reverence of God, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Remember the story in Acts chapter 7? The first one, the first of the seven deacons in the church was Stephen. And he was preaching the word. And I mean, he went from the Old Testament all the way up to the crucifixion of Christ. And those who were, uh, who were refuting him, the religious leaders, the Jewish crowd, they had no answer for the accuracy in which he was cutting straight the word. And then he says, let me come to my clothes. <laughs> let me close my sermon. He said, you Jews crucified Jesus. He rebuked them. He told them the truth. He admonished them, and, and they were so glad. Thank you, Jesus, for telling us that we did wrong. Now we can get it right. But listen to what the scripture says. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witness laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember, back in the day, we used to say this. We didn't act a fool in the neighborhood because if one of the neighbors saw us, they won't be gripping us up <laughs> and putting something on us. And then they're going to take us. They weren't going to call. They're coming to your house with you with holding you by your ear and say, look, we saw him. And, and, and then the parent would say, okay, I will finish where you left off. <laughs> but if you correct somebody's child today, the parent may shoot you, I'm, may kill you. And so... Sometimes we will see things that we should speak out against, but if you do, there may be the scoffer. There may be that fool who, instead of receiving it, they will abuse you. Here's another reason why we don't give correction. Rejection. For the time will come, the Bible says, where people... Where, where people who go to church, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Many Christians don't want to hear the word of God. We want to go to churches where we want God to serve us rather than we come under the authority of God. And so you're saying, well, people aren't going to receive it, so I'm not going to say anything. So the, the fear of rejection, we are living in those times when God said that people who go to church will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof because they will not respond to the truth. 
Here's another third reason. It's going to be, and many others, but I'm just going to stop with three. Retaliation, rejection, exhaustion. The Bible says, Let not become, let's not become weary in well-doing, for in the proper time you will reap a harvest of blessing. I want you to understand something. There is nothing more draining and exhausting than trying to help people work through problems. But that's my job. That's our job. And it's the, the, the blessing of it is when people obediently respond. Not to you, but to the authority of the word of God that they say they believe. Here's what's happening. You share the word of God with somebody, and it, the command is as clear as I am, as dark as I am, and something else is as white as it. It ain't no, it's no gray. It's black and white. And now they need you, after you told them what God said, you got to convince them to do it. That's like, you see your little five-year-old at home, and they're striking matches. I used to love to do that. <laughs> I almost burned the house down one time playing with matches. And then I, then I caught fire on my backside. I couldn't sit down for a couple days. But here you, you got a five-year-old striking matches, and you see them as an adult. Your responsibility is to correct that unacceptable behavior. So you say, I stop striking the matches. Matches are dangerous. They, call, they cause fire. But the kids keep on striking. I don't believe you. Maybe it will. <laughs> Maybe it won't. Prove to me that it, it causes fire. What you're going to do is what any normal parent's going to do. You're going to take those matches from that child and start a fire somewhere else. You shouldn't have to convince a believer to do what God has declared unequivocally. That's something that's black and white. Here's what the word says. What are you going to do about it? Don't make me convince you. I don't want to have to tickle you. I don't want to have to play with your toes. I just want you to do what the word of God says. No back and forth. Do, are you going to be obedient or are you, are you just going to be somebody that's going to drain the living life out of your pastor and others? Because here's the way that goes. People who strike matches and want you to convince them that it'll burn something down, and you told them to stop, that's not the first time they heard it. You've been doing that for a while. Let me run on. I, I really want to get through this. Why do we resist correction? Why don't we receive it? One reason is, say, a persecution spirit. Listen what uh, Genesis chapter 42, verse 36 says. Then their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children, Joseph. He's no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you want Benjamin? And listen to these words. Everything is against me. Sometimes the persecution spirit is like, just picking on me. You just don't like me. You got it in for me. 
there's a bullseye on my back. And so there are people who actually have a victim mentality. And sometimes that victimization spirit is the result of the fact that you've never been healed from a wound that was inflicted by someone other than me. And so you can have a persecution spirit. When you have a persecution spirit, what's going to happen when you should be responding to correction and obedience? You're going to get emotional. You, you, you're not going to see the forest. for the, You're going to get in your, in your feelings. Let's run on. You still with me? Here's another thing that makes it hard for us to receive correction. Say peer pressure. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders that they gave him. He consulted with his young men who he had grown up with that was serving with him. Now, Solomon's counselors, the one who had worked with Solomon for some 40 years as he was king, gave Rehoboam, Solomon's son, great corrective advice. Don't be as harsh as your daddy. Don't try to have what your parents worked for 40 years to get tomorrow. Don't do it. And he heard what they said, and he didn't say no. He was cool with it, and then he got on the phone and started talking to his boys. Do you know what they did to me? You know what they said. What do you guys think? And then under the influence of his immature, godless friends, his peers, what was clear and settled is now, all of a sudden, it's, it wasn't the way I see it. It doesn't change. So peer pressure can keep you, because you're going to keep calling somebody until they agree with you. You're going to keep visiting churches. You're going to keep dating churches until you find one that will allow you to live in your stuff. Peer pressure. Here's another thing. Don't tell me I'm cool if my hair ain't combed. I got food all in my teeth. Big old hole in the back of my pants. And you shook my hand all day. You never told me. Well, we didn't want to embarrass. I was embarrassed all day. We just thought that was a new. No, you didn't. Here's another reason. Not only is it a persecution spirit, peer pressure, say pain. pain. Correction hurts. We don't want to hear it. Listen to what the word of God says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 12, verse 11, when the prophet Nathan went to King David, and David said, come on in, let's talk. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, God is good all the time, God is good. You do your devotion today, yeah, you live in your praise and worship, you got your playlist, yeah, yeah. So let me tell you a story, King. Amen. And so by the time he gets to the end of the story, David said, whoa, that was a, that's, that's some rough stuff. Who, whoever this person is who stole the one you lamb from a man when he had a multitude, he was, well, 
I want you to go get him, and he's going to restore. And then Nathan said, thou art the man. David, you stole another man's wife. You had her husband killed. And David could say, but, but you know, you don't understand. I was having a hard night. I couldn't sleep. Maybe the medication. No, no, no. He said, I'm guilty. I want you to understand when the Holy Spirit is allowed to do his work when we're wrong and we receive correction from the word, it should convict you about your sin and convince you to do what is right. Being corrected when you thought you were right and you're on the wrong side. It's like the police officer who went home in Dallas and she'd worked a full shift and she goes into the wrong apartment. And she sees a young man, a praise and worship leader, a leader in his church, just relaxing in his own apartment. And she pulls out her revolver and she kills that young man, 26 years old, somebody's child, killed him dead. She was wrong. Accident, whatever, somebody's dead. And when you realize that you were wrong and you need to be corrected, that's devastating. It hurts when you are the person, when you are the man. Let me give you the main reason why we struggle with receiving correction. Can I give you the main reason? Minister Will, can I give you a break? Okay, thank you. Pride. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Better to be humble in spirit and lowly than to divide the spoils of the proud. When you are caught up in pride, you feel like you're right and you got on four left shoes. We feel justified to feel offended. We feel right to hold on to our anger. I ain't speaking to nobody. They hurt me. And the truth is, I don't think when Jesus was hung on the cross and they put those nails in his hands and feet, I don't think that was pleasurable. I don't think he said, you missed the spot. I hear the Lord lying there with the crown of thorns on his head, blood gushing down, having been beaten all night, and they're being mocking him, and they're hoisting that cross up, and all the weight of his body falling against those nails. What he could have said, I want ten legion of angels to destroy all of these knucklehead. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And last I know, ain't none of us hung on no cross. None of us have left heaven's glory to become poor that we might be rich. Pride. Say pride. Now, what are some of the consequences of failing to give and receive correction? I'm glad you asked. One of the first consequences is isolation. People can't get close to you. You're like a porcupine. Because every time somebody tries to tell you, don't go that way, or there's a different way to do it, you're 
spines come out. And so what people have to do when they live with you, they got to tiptoe and walk on eggshell. I hope this don't upset her. I hope she's asleep when I come home. I hope he's, hope he's really tired tonight. You know, they, so people don't want to be around you. The Bible says if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia. We have fellowship one with another. You can't fellowship with nobody if you can't be corrected. Isolation. Here's another consequence. Say limitation. People that constantly reject correction are stunted in their growth. I want you to know that for far too many Christians, the acceleration in our spiritual growth stopped and fell to a flat line after three years of salvation. You learned a couple Bible verses. You know how to say what you're supposed to say when you're supposed to say it, but you haven't grown an inch spiritually in all the years since. You know just enough to impress, but you aren't pressing towards a higher mark, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul said, yeah, I knew those things as a Pharisee, but all the things that I thought I needed were the very things that kept me from what I needed most. I needed Jesus. And he said, now I can look back as I look, as I press towards the mark and count everything that I thought was worth everything. I count it as dung. You aren't going to grow. The Bible says, give instructions. Say, give instructions to wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. You should not have to be struggling with the same stuff. You've been saved for 25 years. You're still dealing with things that you were battling with the first year of your faith. What that means is you're not growing. Let's run on. Are you still with me? Let me tell you. Here's another thing. Frustration. Reason why we don't receive frustration. Everywhere you go, the same problem. The, the fleas, they don't just go away because you move to another house. You need a flea collar. Call the word of God. This ain't the first Rare rodeo you've been to. Your problem followed you here. When it's persistent, when it's life dominating, the nation of Israel, because they refused the correction of the Lord, the promised land was right in front of them. The blessings of the Lord was right there. But because they refused to be corrected, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. While they could see, but couldn't enter in. Here you are roaming around the same mountain in the same spiritual position while others around you have entered in. You see their lives changing. You see the growth. You see the intimacy developing in the Lord. And the Lord desires that of all of his children. But you're wandering because when you don't respond to correction, you end up frustrated. 
Here's what makes a person who holds on to an offense dangerous. Listen to what Proverbs says. Whoever heeds to discipline, correction, shows the way of life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. When you take offense and you talk to somebody else about your offense, the Bible says a little leaven, a little sin in your life that you know about but you don't do anything about based on the word of God, it begins to spread through the church. And before you know it, your offense has become a plague in the church. And now, five, five weeks later, you and the person that you were offended by, you're kissing and hugging. But you've got a whole slew of folks who are still wounded by what you shared with them. That's why when you're having marital problems and you call your family, you know what he said to me. I don't believe he said it. And when he said it, I know he meant it because I could see in his brain. You could see in his brain. Come on, Jesus. Fourth member of the Trinity. Next thing, you and your husband are getting ready to fly away to Venice somewhere, renewing your vows a fifth time. Amen. It's a good thing to renew your vows. Did we do that already? Oh, you over there. <laughs> but other people, your children, they hear you talking about the church. They know more about what's going on here than you do. You don't read the bulletin. But they listen to you. Isn't it interesting? And this shook me. My private secret sense that I never intentionally try to teach my sons, guess what their main struggles are? What you don't repent of, what you don't receive correction for, will spread to your children. But usually it's not going to stop with one adultery. Absalom slept with 10 of David's wives. And then Solomon said, oh, I can top that. If you think you bad, he's had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. We're talking about generational sin. So you don't want to allow the devil to get a third and fourth generation victory because you didn't receive correction from the word of God. How can we give, who can we, who can give and who needs to receive correction? I'm about to lose my shirt here. Okay. Uh-huh. Who can give correction? If you think you can correct somebody, would you raise your hand? From the word of God. Oh, well, let me help you just in case you think that's a trick question. And ass, A-S-S, can give correction if God chooses to use it to do so. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 28, the Bible says, Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth 
And it said to Balaam, what have I done to you that make you beat me three times? An ass can correct you if God enters into that beast and has it speak to you. Your dog one day may help you to understand that God's trying to get your attention. A child can give you correction. If you don't want something repeated, don't say it in the presence of a child. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 16b, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called them to praise. The, the Pharisees would stop them from praise. He said, well, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. But haven't you read in the scripture that the children, their praise is a rebuke to, the, to you. Watching kids serve the Lord and celebrate the Lord more than their parents. They're reading their Bible every day. You don't know where yours is. But you do know where your cell phone is. You do know what's in your bank account. But guess who gave you what's in the bank account? Guess who made it possible for you to have that cell phone? Guess who made it possible? A friend can correct you. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. I hope you have the kind of friend that can tell you that your stuff don't smell good. You stepped in something. I hope you have the kind of relationship with your wife or your husband where they can look you square in the eye and say, baby, I love you, but you wrong. And I still love you in your wrong self. <laughs> your enemies can correct you. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's ways, he causes their enemies to be at peace with them. They will tell you things that otherwise they would just keep to themselves why they can't stand you. They'll tell you. You may not like the way they say it, but God will even use an enemy. Sometimes you need to separate the meat from the bones. But if there's some meat, you eat the meat. Throw away the bones. You say, how are they going to tell me their family? He didn't got 10 kids outside of marriage and 15 other. But he ain't talking about the 10 kids. He's talking about you. And what they're saying at that time is right. Unsaved pagans can correct you. When Jonah was on the boat and the, the sailors had thrown everything overboard and they started praying individually to their, their personal gods. Oh, don't let us die. Please don't let us die. And Jonah's in the, in the hall of the ship sleeping in carnality. He said, go get that, get, that, get that man up. What's his problem? How in the world? I want you to understand, when you're in carnality and a backslidden condition, you don't hear God's voice because you've turned it off. And then he comes on board, and he said, oh, I'm a preacher, and I'm fleeing from God. <laughs> and those unsaved men said, why have you done this to us? 
I want you to understand when you are outside the will of God and won't receive correction and you're around unsaved people because God chastens those who he loves, anybody that's in your presence is, is subject for divine judgment and you're bringing people in danger. God will kill everything to get to you. Who else can help you? Spiritually mature people who love you and love God. You can't be spiritually mature if you don't love people. People that are humble enough to receive correction. Now, here's the problem. Here's what we do. We justify sin by saying, a minister actually said this. He had caught, been caught in adultery, and the church was disciplining him through the leadership, and they were sitting down. And the people that were part of the leadership, some of them did not have seminary degrees. And he basically said, the only people who are qualified to correct me are people who are of my stature who have seminary degrees. And if, if you are going to try to sit me down based on this group that is assembled, I, I'm just going to head up. And with that decision, half of the church went with him. Sometimes what we decide, I got a group of people that hold me accountable. You didn't hurt them. You hurt somebody else. It doesn't matter what the title is. If you harm someone and they approach you about it, the spiritual thing to do is say, well, let me go check with my buddies. And No, no, no. I'm sorry. I did it. And because you are being led by the Spirit of God to make this thing right, you don't have to be a seminary graduate. You don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon. All you need to do is be obedient to the Word, and I will respond to that. You should have people that you're accountable to. But you don't hurt them. And when they do, they can tell you. But if you, whoever you offend they should be able to approach you about that. Am I right about it? Yes. Now, who needs to be corrected? Here's what the Bible says. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is, ne who, who, who is never at fault and what he says is perfect. Anybody in here perfect? Nobody. The only perfect person, his name was Jesus, but the Bible said even Jesus received instruction. He grew in knowledge and in stature. The Son of God. So we all need correction from time to time. Amen, Sister Benson. Amen. She corrects me. We're going to close with this. How to give and receive instruction, correction. How to give it and how to receive it. One of the ways that I learned the hard way, here's how you know when someone is leadership material. If they have a teachable spirit, and the way you'll know that they have a teachable spirit is when you have to correct them. When is the last time that you were wrong? And somebody was able to say, elder, reverend, pastor. You know, I don't have trouble with people telling me. They're quick to tell me because I say, I'm open. And they go on and do it. But if a person cannot be corrected, they're not leadership material because they're going to be a wolf among sheep. 
one of the ministries in our church, one of the characteristics, we want to be a transparent church. I don't try to act like I'm perfect. I am not. I share from this pulpit because when you read the word of God, the Bible is, is without makeup. It shows the cuts and the bruises for our admonition. But if you have people that are trying to lead you that are always right, can't be corrected, if you're married to somebody like that, God bless you. God bless you. That's torture. They got a reason for everything that they did that was wrong, but they can't come around. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I did it. You're right. So here's how we, how, here, here's how we do this. We're going to kind of quickly go through this. When you get a minute, go to Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 uh, to the end of the chapter. Here's how you correct people. Here's how you do it. You want to know? Wait for the appropriate time. In Exodus chapter, 13, chapter 18, verse 13, this is Moses, the pastor, over two million. His congregation is two million strong. The Bible says the next day he took a seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law, Jephro, saw all that Moses was doing with the people, he said, what you are doing for these people? What are you doing, he asked. Why do you do this alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Jephro waited until the right time. You don't have to, you shouldn't do it because I felt like I should do it right now. You have to wait until, when's the right time? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, go to a person in private. If you have a problem with somebody in this church, in your house, the first response should not be to call some of your girlfriends or your boyfriends. You go to the person. And the scripture says, be reconciled with the person. And if you do, then you want a brother. Now, if you can't correct it between you and them, then you invite a second and a third person. And then if that doesn't work, he says, now take them to the leadership. But the first step is to wait for the right time. Talk to a person in private. Don't get on the phone. Don't be, let's pray for him. Let's pray for her. Because the the person you share with, they're going to call somebody else, and they say, we need to pray for. No, you don't. You need to repent now because you're in sin. Ask questions to clarify facts. Jeff was like, what are you doing? Now, he wasn't saying, you dummy. You're sitting up here all night and all day. He was very, he asked questions loving. Give me the facts. What happened? It ain't emotional. Let's, let's talk about what happened. So he asked the question. And here's the final. He said, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Jeffro said, there's a better way to do this. Yeah. Pastor, where did you go to school? Are you sure your credentials are? No, he he said, there's another way to do this. Provide godly solutions. Provide godly solutions. You're not just giving a mother's wit what I would do if I was you. If you were them and you were Christian, you need to have enough knowledge of this word that you can tell them what does the Bible say to do when you have conflict with someone. The word works. 
God said, my word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper where unto I, wherever the word goes. It will do what God has intended for it to do. Now, how do you respond? Say, how do I respond when somebody's correcting me? Here's what Moses did in chapter 18, verse 24 of Exodus. He received it humbly. Moses listened to his father-in-law, and he did everything he said. Problem over. He humbly received it. He refused to give in to peer pressure. He could have said, well, let me talk. To no, no, no. He just did what he was told to do because he received it as from the Lord. The question is, is this from the Lord? And if it is, that settles it. That person was just acting like a donkey yesterday. Now he, he, he's speaking to me from the word. I don't care what he was acting like, but is this the word? Because God use, uses imperfect people to show us our, who are flawed to show us our flaws. Stay with me. We're almost done. Recognize that correction is a gift to you and others. Because Moses did what his father-in-law said, now the people were blessed. Your wife is going to be blessed. Your children are going to be blessed. Your husband will be blessed because he obeyed and responded to correction. Now he shared the leadership with 70 elders. Everybody will be blessed when you respond correctly to admonition and rebuke. Finally, repent. Say repent from your pride. That's what keeps you from hearing and moving past your emotions, pride. God, at, all, at the, the top, the first list of things that the Bible says that God hates is pride. Stand with me. I don't know if they do this in public school anymore, but now that I'm 27, <laughs> and I talk to some older people, Back in the day, when I was in, when they were in elementary school, the teacher would say, we are going to have a field trip. And it might be to the zoo, it could have been to the Franklin Institute, or wherever the field trip may be. And she would say, you need to bring X amount of dollars and bring your lunch. That was the easy part. And here's another thing she said, if you don't act right before the trip, you will not go. You will stay here. And guess what? One time I decided to test the teacher's resolve. I got my money in. I brought my lunch. And I got ready to get in the line to go. And she said, Mr. Benson, go to room. I didn't go on that trip. And the reason I missed out, it wasn't because I couldn't have enjoyed the experience. I refused to accept correction. There's some places in the Lord that he wants to take you. He wants to bless you beyond what you can even ask or think, but you will never receive it until you learn how to walk in obedience when he corrects you. 
however and through, ever, through whoever he chooses to do it. Amen? Amen. Second mile Christians humbly receive and give correction. Let's pray.